Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman. And I'm Eve Simmons. And we're health journalists who spend our lives asking tough questions to experts who really know their stuff. And this week we're talking about mandatory vaccinations and whether they are a good idea or not. As ever, we'd like to know what you think, so tweet us using the hashtag MedicalMinefield or email us at health at mailonsunday.co.uk. So mandatory vaccinations, Eve, it is, uh, it's, it's an interesting prospect, certainly uh, not something that we have had in, in, in recent history in the UK at all. But in other countries, it seems they are starting to do this. In Greece, I believe in France, um, uh, Angela Merkel's uh, successor, Olaf Scholz, has said that he will vote in favour of mandatory vaccination. In Germany, uh, their um, uh, outgoing health minister, uh, Jens Spahn, uh, has warned that Germans will have either been vaccinated, recovered or died by the end of winter, which would sound very Germanic. I am also should say that I'm, I'm beaming live from Germany. I'm where, glad you disclosed where, that, yes. <laughs> where, where vaccine passports are everywhere, I've literally not been able to go into a gift shop without uh, showing, my, showing my booster dose, etc. You know, they've, they've checked and they want ID and the whole lot. So, I mean, it does throw a spanner in the works. If you're, if, I imagine if you're not vaccinated, I'm not sure what you do here. Well, and does it make you feel quite calm and kind of relaxed and reassured or is it just annoying? In the back of my mind, no, because I know that they have quite high numbers here. Um, you know, that despite all of these things, they still have circulation of the virus. So, uh, you know, is it really working? Is it you know, is it or is it all? You know, is it all for show? Is it all? You know, I'm I'm not convinced that you can completely relax. You know, if and, and if you go to a restaurant, for instance, there's lots of older people here. I'm in I'm in a place called Baden Baden, and um, which is very popular with with old people. Hence why I'm here, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, you know, they're, 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 you know, older people in restaurants and in, you know, uh, in health, health clubs and all kinds of things. And, and you can see that everyone's very relaxed and, you know, will take off their mask and, and such like. But, you know, are, is everyone safe? They, they do have it. I, I think low numbers in this, in this city, but, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced, but, you know, mm, mm. I don't mean to sound too KBF. <laughs> I think also what's interesting is that our um, vaccination take-up figures are higher than most of the rest of Europe. And so, therefore, you could argue that it's not particularly necessary to get that kind of very small minority now um, vaccinated when we're focusing on boosters, after all, because we know that this new variant that's quickly, obviously, going to become the dominant variant um, isn't very responsive to two doses anyway. Well, n- there is around 19% of Britons who have not had two doses of the vaccine, which is in the millions. Mm. Um, that is a large population of people for Omicron to circulate and um, infect. As Chris Whitty said, you know, even a small percentage of a large number like that is a large number of people. Um, So 
you know, obviously the reason we're talking about it is that Boris raised the uh, spectre of mandatory vaccination at the press conference. Uh, just I don't before. think anyone was. It had been it'd been called distinctly un-British before by many ministers, and the prime minister had time and time again completely dismissed the idea until last week. And I mean, the interesting thing is that in the science community, there's always been a huge resistance to it. And I, you know, I mean, I, I know that certainly the the reluctance to roll out vaccination to younger populations because we do have high rates of vaccination for things like MMR um, you know when you compare it to other countries um, so to mandate something I think scientists worry that it, it it pushes people and and the fear is that people start to see uh, you know a medical treatment like vaccination is something that's forced on them and and that they lose faith in it I suppose mm. and uh, you know I think it's interesting you've got someone on the line now who I think has been characterized throughout the pandemic as pretty much hard line someone who's been uh, uh, you know dubbed a zero covider um, you know warned that unlocking when we did was going to end in tears and uh, you know very pro restrictions. Um, uh, Professor Dipiti Gardasani, and yet she is not pro-mandatory vaccination, which I find fascinating. Dr Gardasani, thank you so much for finding some time to talk to us. Can I first ask you, why is it that you are against mandatory vaccines? Um, I think mandatory vaccines sort of have this danger of marginalising people already marginalised and doesn't really deal with the root cause of vaccine hesitancy. Rather, the, rather it tries to sort of railroad people into essentially accepting vaccines because, you know, they will otherwise be marginalized out of society. I think there are, you know, many different reasons why people are vaccine hesitant. I mean, some of it is around misinformation, disinformation, and some of it is around lack of trust in government or historical context, particularly for ethnic minorities, you know, who have um, been let down by government, home office, healthcare services, time and time again, and have very good reason to be distrustful of government. And unless I think we directly address that root cause. I worry that just that if vaccines per se might end up marginalising those communities even more. Uh, Professor Godsoni, thank you um, for uh, finding time to talk to us. I, I um, uh, you use the word hesitancy. Um, uh, you know, eighty-one percent of the population has been fully vaccinated. We're now into the booster situation. Hasn't the time for hesitancy passed? You know, it's very clear that that either people, you know, are, have vaccinated or have decided not to. And really, you know, if if people are deciding not to, we need to start to think about ways to deal with that as a problem. I agree. We have to find ways to deal with it. But you know, have we actually been finding the right ways to deal with it? Is the question. It's not about the time passed, but rather what the government has done to address vaccine hesitancy. And I work. I mean, I work with sort of, you know, ethnic minority communities to look at the reasons for vaccine hesitancy and try and address them. And I can say very confidently that that's an area where the government, well, has done rather shambolic work, I think, <laughs> you know, um, because the reasons for vaccine hesitancy are really complex. It's not just sort of anti-vax conspiracy theories. It has a lot to do with how communities have treated, been treated in the past and not least during the pandemic, where death rates in these communities have been very high. They've been hung out to dry. Government has not acknowledged uh, structural racism, has dismissed and gaslit them continuously, you know, and they've been hostile. Immigration policies, they have had to deal with so much structural discrimination in a society and by a government that's not even been acknowledged. 
And, you know, why should these communities trust governments when they say that vaccines are good for them? You know, messaging that I've seen has been limited to saying this is good for you. Take it. If you don't take it, you're being selfish. That's not the way you address years of loss of public trust and discrimination. And I think the government really needs to find ways of reaching out to those communities rather than saying, well, if you don't take this vaccine, you're going to be marginalized even more. Hmm. I, I completely hear what you're saying, and that seems to make make sense. But I guess given the kind of current situation, we have this tidal yeah. wave of infection that we're facing. Is it not better to do something relatively extreme right now um, in order to make sure that those, I think it's 6.4 million people who have no protection at least have something just so that, you know, in the short term, yeah. we're preventing those hospitalizations and, and perhaps even, you know, another lockdown? Sure. And that brings me to the second point, which is the government has over relied on vaccines, which in itself is a massive problem. I mean, the public messaging has been one, if you get vaccinated, you're not at risk. I mean, which is why I mean, that messaging is clear from the policies that essentially say if you're vaccinated, you know, you don't have to isolate as a contact and things like that. And even current messaging around vaccine passports. And the second message, oh, 60 percent of the population vaccinated now it's time for freedoms, you know, the pandemic is over. All of that is wrong from a scientific perspective because, I mean, in, in truth, if you ask me whether I want to be inside a room with a vaccinated person or with a person wearing an N99 or N95 mask, scientifically, it's safer for me to be with a person wearing that N95 mask. But have you seen, you know, similar messaging around mask mandates for high quality masks? I certainly haven't. So why are there sort of mandates around vaccination, vaccine passports, but literally no messaging um, around high quality masks, which are being mandated can, in different just, countries in Western Europe. Sorry, can we that? Can you yeah. explain that? Uh, yeah. Can you rationalise that? So I, I yeah. believe that, that a vaccine um, overall, yeah. if you look at the population, is going to cut down transmission. I mean, well, if, if, if you're immune to through vaccination then you're not going to have it so if you're in the room with that person yeah. you're, you know how are you working that out that you're safe sure yeah i can explain that yeah so yeah. for the delta variant the protection you have against infection plus the additional protection against transmission can be anywhere between sort of 60 and 80 percent that's pretty high protection at least initially after you get vaccinated we know that that protection wanes over time so in four to five months, that protection is considerably lower, you know, so more in the range of potentially 20 to 40 percent, you know. Um, and with Omicron, of course, we know that protection is much, much lower uh, because even with two doses of Pfizer, protection against symptomatic infections is only 30 percent. Um, hence the so booster. It, hence the booster, yes. And the booster brings it up to sort of similar levels to where, you know, it was with two doses with Pfizer before. And uh, if, if I wear, if somebody wears an N95 or N99 mask and it's well fitting, then it can reduce your risk by about 90 to 95%, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't wane over time because every time you wear the mask, you have the same protection. So would I like to, would I prefer being in a room with somebody who was vaccinated or somebody wearing a well fitting high quality mask? certainly the latter. I wonder if you so so you would think it was interesting what you said about um vaccinated people being given freedoms and you, you don't think that's necessarily the right thing to do. So so what what do you think then uh, Dr. Gurdasani should, should we have 
um, you know, vaccinated people still being subject to quite strict lockdowns or or, or certainly restrictions and, and their freedoms kind of compromised? So, I, I, you know, this whole rhetoric of lockdowns as the primary means of or, or controlling the pandemic is something that I take massive issue with. I know you'd be forgiven in the UK for thinking that lockdowns are actually a public health measure for primarily controlling the pandemic. It's actually not. It's a failure of public health strategy. You know, if you look at countries in Southeast Asia, many of them have never had a national lockdown and have had far lower cases and far less deaths than us because measures like masks, I mean, I don't think of masks as restrictive. I think masks allow you to be more free because they allow you to mix in society in a way that's safer. Um, so masks, ventilation, good test rates, isolate systems, support for isolation, vaccination, boosting, all of these form multiple layers of protection. And mm. we shouldn't be using one layer in the toolbox and neither should we be saying, oh, if you're vaccinated, you're safe. You know, when, when I meet with people when I'm forced to socialize with people, I have to for whatever reason, for example, doing media, I use multiple layers. I'm vaccinated. I wear an N99 mask, which is very, very protective. I use the HEPA air filtration device I have in my house. I open the windows and doors and I limit socialization greatly and I maintain a social distance. All of those layers help. And I think the idea that, you know, mandating vaccines would solve the problem, I think is what I take issue with because... you know, fine, mandate vaccines, but then also, you know, have uh, requirements for ventilation. The, I mean, the, the government has... That you don't have in businesses that you don't have, have HEPA yeah. air filtration devices, mandate high quality masks, which Germany has done on transport, and provide them to people so that they're affordable. I mean, we have, we have uh, the, the government has mandated masks, and, and, and you're right, it's not the same requirement for, for the, you know, for the, for the layering of masks. Um, yeah. But certainly, okay, so look at it this way. Before the mandate came in a couple of weeks ago and people f- were faced with the fine, I was getting on the tube in London and I'd say on a on a bad day, there would be one person in a carriage with a mask on. Suddenly yeah. that fine threat came in and I would say you see one person without the mask now. Yeah. It was it was instant. As soon as the mandate happened, people were like, oh, well, I better, better do it. I mean, you know, people have complained that it was a, a sort of un-British thing to, to, for Boris to suggest that we should, we should mandate vaccines. And yet we seem to actually respond very well to being told what to do. You know, people said it was un-British to do a lockdown right at the beginning yeah. and that we wouldn't stay at home to, when we were told to. But in fact, we we did so, it very well. Yeah, so actually the evidence suggests that it's not actually the mandate. I mean, if you remember, uh, transport did require people to wear masks and people still weren't wearing it. So there, it was a requirement from, I think, what is the transport agency called? I can't remember. Yeah, no one was. Everyone ignored Sadiq Khan, definitely. TFL had... TFL had said that people should be wearing them. So in a way, they were not mandated by government. They were mandated by TFL, but people But were as not soon as them. the government mandate yeah. came in, that's yeah, when people yeah. started wearing it. Exactly. And what I'm saying is it's not the mandate per se, but the message that it sends. So um, I'll give you an example of this. So last December, you know, people were essentially, there was a lockdown and people were allowed to kind of socialize at Christmas. But people hugely limited the socializing because it's the message that it sends. So the message the mask mandate sends is we're in a serious situation. Now we're heading into a crisis and you need to follow. I don't think it's a mandate per se, but the messaging that goes alongside it. And I think you people can are taking have it seriously. 
Exactly. And and that's right. what happened with the last lockdown. People massively reduced socializing, although they could have socialized on Christmas Day. Many of them didn't, chose not to, because there was a lockdown around it. Whereas, you know, this year, it looks like people are planning much more Christmas uh, mixing because the messaging has, you know, been very, very mixed uh, around this mm-hmm. Christmas period. So I think if the government actually told people and messaged things properly with vaccination, with masks, and everything, I think we could be in a different place. I mean, there are countries that have very, very high vaccine uptake. And part of that is down to government messaging. I mean, I'm not saying I'm blatantly against sort of vaccine mandates. I mean, I'm a healthcare worker myself. And, you know, for us, vaccines are mandated. And to be fair, I never actually thought about it. You know, we just took our vaccines and and got on with it. But I know there are people who don't share my views, you know. Mm. And, um, you know, I generally think we should try and deal with the root cause. And I think, you know, misinformation, disinformation, anti-vax theories abound on social media. And I deal with this all the time on social media. And I think unless we address that, you know, there'll be people who'll be pushed more and more away from vaccination. We might see the protests that, you know, many parts of the world are seeing. And I would rather address that with dealing with the misinformation and the root cause directly. I know that is a lot more work mm. <laughs> and mm. it's it harder. Mm. Well, it seems like a very tough It takes a lot more to time. Yes, but I, I mean, I really worry about the longer term view, you know, given vaccines are probably going to be required repeatedly, not just once or twice or even thrice, you know, um, that I think it requires a bit more thinking and consultation. I'm not a behavioral scientist. This is not my primary area of expertise. But I mean, I always prefer the carrot to the stick where it's possible. Um, but, you know, there might be there might be advantages of mandates. I mean, certainly vaccine passports have massively increased uptake in Austria and France. Um, so, you know, that yeah, is I mean, it's been a success and the passports as well. Yeah. You know, they've been seen as success. And, you know, everyone was saying, don't do it, don't do it. But, you know, they had a much bigger anti-vax problem than, than we did. And, you know, I mean, people say yeah. Omicron, if, if it's as catchy as they say it is, you know, I mean, these people are staring down the barrel of a gun now and, you know, we've got to kind of do everything to scoop as many of them up as possible, really. Absolutely. But we should be doing more than vaccinating is one of my points. <laughs> and the second right, point, absolutely. I guess I'm making it is, you know, a lot of the anti-vax conspiracies around sort of libertarian ide- uh, ideology, which is that, you know, vaccines are a means, you know, people are trying to control us. And when you do put in mandates, you in some way strengthen that sort of thinking and that sort of mm-hmm. uh, sentiment. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I don't know what the impact of that will be in the longer term, but it's something that I do worry about because I can see those movements kind of taking hold in different parts of the world. And what the impact of those movements will be in the longer term, I don't know, which is why I think it's always best to be able to convince people. I I understand that may not be possible. And yes, vaccines can be life-saving. There's no doubt about it. But I think we have to kind of consider the full picture and also try our best to engage and Mm. also push the importance of other measures. I mean, boosters are not currently going to keep up with the exponential spread of Omicron, vitally important as they are. And also, you know, they will wane over time. So it's very important not to say, ah, this is the end, because it's very unlikely to be the end. And to emphasize that, you know, we will need other interventions alongside vaccination. We are very, very unlikely going to end the pandemic with some sort of herd immunity through vaccines. Mm. I mean, that has been clear for a while and I don't feel politicians and even some scientists have been honest about it. Mm. Dr. Gaudisani, thank you so much for joining us and um, finding some time today. Sure, thank you for having me. I mean, it comes back to that 
that problem that we've been facing since the start of, of the vaccination program, you know, how do you solve this this problem of, of people who are either hesitant or have really decided, uh, you know, how do you change people's minds? There's going to be a proportion of people that will never change their minds. And, and what do you do with them? Do we leave them to just catch COVID eventually and either recover or die? Or do we mm-hmm. try and do something else drastic? But you, of course, what uh, Professor Gardasani s- said is is right that that this isn't going to end here, and that you know we we do risk creating a, a sort of health apartheid, you know, section of society that is unable to access so much mm. because they are unvaccinated and and do not want to be for some reason that we can't fathom. I think scientists are worried about the potential repercussions, you know, long term, once you kind of create this distrust of medical authority, because they feel these people feel that you're forcing them to do something against their will, then what what does that say for other medical interventions they might need in a few years time after that, or, you know, God forbid, the next pandemic or another vaccine that they might need? Joining us now is Dr. Peter English, a public health expert and past chair of the British Medical Association's Public Health Medicine Committee. Dr. English, we've discussed uh, just now uh, in practice the problems that will arise with mandatory vaccination. But could you just explain in theory um, how it might work and and how it might might actually be effective? I'm not convinced it would work. I suspect that more people would uh, harden their positions. My son who's living in Vienna where they have made it mandatory uh, commented that a lot of people he knew had been hesitant, hadn't been certain, but their response to being told they had to was, they can't make me. And I fear that's what's likely to happen here. But, but we've seen we've seen mandatory vaccinations um, in, in other countries in Europe pre-COVID. Um, and actually, it does it does seem to increase take up of vaccines. Is that is that not right? It, it's very mixed and a lot depends on the culture and traditions. In some places, mandatory effectively means um, not that you're going to be dragged in and forced to have it if you if you refuse, but that you won't get certain benefits. And in some places, it simply means that the local authorities are mandated to make it freely available. Um, so the mandation is more on the providers than on the people mm. receiving it. Uh, in some countries, again, where they have a tradition, like in Italy, of making important vaccinations mandatory. If you don't make a new vaccination mandatory, then there's a tendency to think, well, if they really wanted us to have it, they'd make it mandatory. But that's against a background where it's already the custom to have mandatory vaccines. We haven't had mandatory vaccination in the UK since the 1950s, when smallpox vaccination stopped being mandatory. Um, And most people who looked at this think that the the backlash, the, the objections to, to, to being forced to be vaccinated would actually, in practice, harden views and stop more people getting vaccinated than it would encourage them to. People often worry about the idea of mandating vaccines. And yet, from the, since the start of the pandemic, there's been this kind of will Britons accept X or Y. You know, the recent mask mandate uh, has... has s- Anecdotally, I would say it's been a success. You know, it went from me seeing no one wearing masks around London to everyone wearing masks. You know, perhaps British people fall in line much more readily than we give us credit for. You know, perhaps what we need is a mandate in order to to save these millions of people from Omicron. 
I think there's quite a lot of truth in the fact that the public is generally willing to do what it's told and to um, that there's a lot more support for controls on, on that, that will help to restrict COVID transmission than politicians give us credit for, uh, particularly if people feel that they're not going to be the only ones and that everybody else is going to have to do it too. I still remain very nervous about the the, the introduction of mandatory vaccination for everybody under any circumstances. I think it's perfectly legitimate to reduce, in, um, make restrict what people can do if they're not vaccinated because it puts others at risk. That's the, so the, the COVID pass sorts of ideas where there are things you won't be allowed to do unless you can prove you're fully vaccinated. Vaccine whatever passports. we define that as meaning. Mm-hmm. Vaccine, well, vaccine passports, COVID passports, whatever you call them. Um, that, that I can see something in because then it's not absolutely compulsory you you can choose not to do the things that you can't do if you without a covid pass um, but i think if you as soon as we make it so rigid that everybody has to be vaccinated i i think the history of mandatory vaccination in the uk suggests that that might generate more of a backlash than it does a, a people coming forward is that what we've seen in the past we have seen a backlash in the uk well, we've certainly seen resistance and we've certainly seen increased resistance when there's a threat of mandation, increased uh, circulation of vaccine disinformation and so forth. And was that with smallpox? With smallpox, there were riots in the streets and things. It was, but that, I mean, 50 years ago is a very different time mm. from now, of course, or 60 years ago, actually, in the 50s, um, 60, 70. It's, so things have we we can't guarantee that things will be the same as they were then or they'll have the same weight of um people doing it i mean we we regularly see the the people who were pro brexit and the people who are anti masks and going out and 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 demonstrating in in rather violent ways but i think the vast majority of those people are just people who enjoy going out and smashing things up and having a barney with the police and don't really <laughs> care what they know what they're protesting about and they're always going to be around aren't they they're no always going to be around and i think i'm sure that we'll see those come out uh, you're right it might well be that the mask mandate might do more good than harm i i can see it i wrote an article about mandatory vaccination back in about 2008 and I concluded that, that mandatory vaccination was appropriate for occupational reasons. So you can't do this particular occupation unless you're vaccinated. And I said in a pandemic, it might be appropriate. So a short-term limited mandate just for COVID, COVID-19, we might get away with without it sort of upsetting the apple cart too much. Um, I, I'm still on balance. I'm still come back to more information, more explanation how your vaccination actually protects other people as well as you because you're less likely to be infected and to transmit it, explaining why it's the pro-social thing to do. But have we not been kind of pressing that message from the very beginning and we still have 19% of people who don't, well, aren't kind of listening or just are not affected by that message? I I don't know. The messaging on vaccine vaccination seems confused to me, partly there's the the one club effect that that actually until everybody's vaccinated we need to do all the other things as well so focusing entirely on vaccination at the expense of everything else is not the right thing to do and i'm not sure that the that there's been so much oh you can still infect people if you've been vaccinated stuff around which is true to an extent but you are a lot less likely to so 
at population level, the more people who are vaccinated, the, the less transmission there will be. So, yes, you can be infected and be infectious. After with Delta, the um, about a third of people who've been vaccinated would, would be trans infected and transmitted compared to people who hadn't been vaccinated after two doses. And after three doses, that fell down to about 3%. So three doses of vaccination after Delta for the Delta were, would almost stop you from being infectious. You'd be very unlikely to be infectious. Two doses, not so much. With Omicron, we don't know, but I would imagine that any protection we get from Omicron after two doses will, just as with um, Delta, be, be 10 to 20 times better after a third dose. Uh, uh, Peter, thanks so much for finding time to talk to us. As ever, it's been a pleasure. You're very welcome. Thanks. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. Eve, something that has concerned me since, uh, you know, since for the last few months is that the government has slightly given up on the group and it worried me that the virus would just continue to circulate in this group who we know will never be as immune as as people who've been vaccinated certainly not if this thing is gonna keep coming up with new variants so you know there was part of me that that felt while i was shocked to hear uh, a, a government you know, to hear the Prime Minister saying that he wanted to start a national conversation about mandatory vaccination, it felt kind of like mm. they were thinking, well, you know, good luck to him before. Mm. Um, whereas now... It, it was sort of, we've done all we can, and now, you know, if you don't want to have your jab, you don't want to have your jab, there's nothing more we can do, let's focus on the booster programme, let's focus on, you know, um, all these freedoms that we can offer people who have gone out to have their vaccine. Mm. And I'm sure that... Uh, um, Deep Tea Guard Sonny is, is correct. There are marginalised, you mm. know, there are marginalised people who already, you know, are excluded from so many areas of life and, and healthcare. We've certainly spoken to quite a few people who, who I would say have had every opportunity and have taken an informed decision to stick their heads up their asses and <laughs> believe. I'm not going to disagree complete, with you there. Yeah believe complete fabrications and lies over some quite basic, clear, obvious truths. So, you know, I think the problem is we have they going to change their mind. Uh, yeah. And we have this very immediate threat right now. And as we know, things can go from bad to severely disastrous very, very quickly. And in an ideal world, well, I guess previously the government would have done more to engage this group and would have, you know, I don't know, kind of gone to extreme lengths to make sure that they are explaining the benefits of the vaccine and listening to their their worries, etc. But right now, I feel we need, we simply don't have time. You know, we, we need something quite significant. To stop them from ending up in hospital. Yeah, absolutely. I'm. I'm. It might be controversial, but I wouldn't say I'm. Um, I'm against <laughs> making vaccines compulsory. I mean, I think really, as you said before, it's it's almost too late with this wave. Um, mm. That this group are seeing 
the abyss, some of them, um, you know, and, uh, you know, how many other people they take with them, who knows. Um, but certainly it seems that uh, with the uh, more vaccination that, that can happen, the more the better immunity you will have to subsequent variants anyway. So Absolutely. And I wonder how how much, you know, the decision to do or to not uh, make vaccines mandatory will be informed by um, how successful the booster programme is, because what's going to be really key is how many of those double vaccinations transfer to boosters, because perhaps mm. the most sensible thing to do is to just, you know, focus on the people who have had two doses and, and now need their booster, mm. and then they mm. will get the best amount of protection. Have you had your booster? I am getting it on Sunday. Hey! I know. I was very annoyed at the NHS website for crashing um, on the day I tried to book it, but then the next day I was all back up and running and fine. Oh, yeah, it's been very popular, hasn't it? I think so, yeah. It's having somewhat of a moment. I had my first Pfizer. Your first yeah, Pfizer? AstraZeneca. Of course. Oh, how was that? Did yeah. it feel different? <laughs> no, it didn't feel like anything at all. Did it taste different? <laughs> Did it taste different? No, I mean, Ethan's had four, so... Yeah. Our reporter, Ethan Ells. Lucky guy. That is all we've got time for. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. You can follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We will be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. <laughs>